So the hometown congregation decided to skip coffee hour that day. And they dragged Jesus out of the village to the top of the hill where the kids would often go to throw rocks down below. And they decided what they would do is throw him from that cliff and be done with him altogether. that first reading from Nehemiah, uh, Morgan read for us, it describes a worship service, worship service uh, from thousands of years ago, and yet it's, it feels familiar when we hear uh, that they read from uh, the scriptures and they prayed together and the scriptures were explained as they worshiped from early in the morning through the midday. Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above all the people, and when he opened it, all the people stood up. Then Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. Then they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. People have been worshipping for many, many generations. I wonder what some of your earliest memories of being at worship might be. For many of us, it's uh, we think back to times as as children. For others, uh, your worship uh, history doesn't go back quite quite as far. But I wonder what some of your first memories of being at worship would be if you shared them. For me, I remember uh, being with our family, family. uh, of six with mom and dad, myself, and my three sisters over at Atonement Lutheran Church in Bloomington. I can remember we sat kind of on the right side of the center, not too far forward, not too far back, if I remember correctly. Uh, I've, I've confessed in the past that I remember being uh, sort of mostly bored through most of the service, and like others before me, I would cross off on the bulletin each uh element of worship as it happened, and you knew you were kind of home free when you could finally scratch out the sermon. So uh, I'm, I'm looking out there right now to see, for, fortunately you don't, we don't give out, that's why we don't give out paper bulletins anymore, we don't do it. Um, but I, I will also admit to some nostalgia, uh, growing up in those years we were in the, the red hymnal, which came after the black hymnal, but before the green hymnal and the blue hymnal, and then now the cranberry hymnal. But you know, during my formative years there, we were in the red hymnal, and when I hear on occasion, which is rare these days, some of the musical settings to those liturgies, I have some nostalgia for it, uh, for some reason. Um, I can remember as and we needed to uh, take our sermon notes, but we were oftentimes down at the farm outside of Lanesboro in southeastern Minnesota where my dad grew up. And my cousin uh, and Trig and I uh, would get occasionally dumped off at Union Prairie Lutheran Church out there in the farmland. It looks precisely the way it sounds. Uh, uh, so you're, you know, think Little House on the Prairie. That's, you know, white kind of clapboard church out there in the fields. And uh, I can remember that we, uh, on one given Sunday when we were, we were, uh, chucked out to go in there and that, you know, the congregation is really quite, 
uh, aware that they have two young visitors from somewhere when we wandered in there. And uh, we, we, uh, we re- re- remembered from earlier wanderings, I believe it would have been at Grandma Mabel's funeral out there at Union Prairie, that there were back staircases that led to this cool balcony that was up above, you know, looking down on the rest of the nave. So we thought we grabbed our bulletin and we went straight up those back stairs. And I can remember us not being probably as surprised as we should have been that we had to take our bulletins and kind of brush away a kind of an inch or two thick layer of flies and dust so we could sit down. It turns out nobody had been up in that balcony for quite a while and the and the organist spent the whole service from down looking up at us um, on that on that given day. I wonder what memories you might have of worshiping. You know, I've shared video clips of worship services in Tanzania where the Maasai warriors are joyfully jumping and they're in all of their regalia, their traditional garb. And uh, But one of my real favorite worship services happened here at this church in a very remote part of western Tanzania, Rukwa region, and well outside of a, a little town called Sumbawanga. We came into worship with this little Lutheran church called Muse. Lutheran parish and they were so welcoming and joyful and we entered into this kind of dark little cozy worship space and we had this rich experience of God's presence though we spoke uh, no language that you know uh, we could understand uh, one to the other and at the end of the service I was given uh, actually it was a box and uh, it was wrapped and I unwrapped it and out popped two live doves as some kind of symbolic gift to me. So, you know, I'm hoping they're still out there somewhere. I couldn't bring them home on the plane. Uh, but uh, a rich experience for me. So many memories. At the outset, this worship service we read about in the gospel and Luke's fourth chapter was a normal service. Jesus opened up the scriptures and he read from the familiar passage in Isaiah uh, about good news being preached to the poor and release being given to the captives and sight to the blind and so forth. And the people gathered in the synagogue that day were all sitting in their regular spots. You know, most of you are probably right now sitting in a spot where you usually sit each uh, time we gather for worship. I have to believe that they were doing the same there on that day. And everyone at worship that day knew this particular scripture by heart. They were weaned on these scriptures. Uh, and they believed that these scriptures referred specifically to them, to God's chosen people. We've been through the ringer, uh, they thought, to themselves. Who could say that the people of Israel had not suffered? They have been conquered and occupied and overrun by one empire after another when you look back through their history and they were currently under the thumb of the occupying Roman forces. So, you know, that being the case, it's it's nice, it's comforting, it's encouraging uh, to think about that time in the future when all of this this stuff will really be true, when people, you know, are praying and talking and yearning for the day when there will be justice in this land of ours. We read last Sunday from Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s sermon, The Drum Major Instinct. And in that 
message, Dr. King said the church is the one place where a doctor ought to forget that they're a doctor. Church is a place where a PhD ought to forget that they're a PhD and a school teacher ought to forget the degree they have behind their name. The church is the one place, Dr. King proclaimed, where the lawyer ought to forget they're a lawyer and any church that violates the whosoever will let him come doctrine, any church that violates the whosoever will come doctrine is a dead cold, and nothing but a little social club with a thin veneer of religiosity. Jesus showed up one day for worship in his hometown, and he read the scripture concerning the good news to the poor, release to the captives, sight to the blind, And when Jesus was finished, he rolled up the scroll and he handed it off and he sat down and he had everyone's attention, Luke tells us. Every eye was fixed on Jesus. And up to this point, everybody is really just so impressed. Everyone is speaking well of him and they're amazed at his gracious words. Isn't this Joseph and Mary's kid from just down the way? And so we start to think, well, this would be a perfect place to wrap it up, Jesus. You know, leave them wanting more. What's he going to say next? I mean, what can this hometown kid possibly add to this old, old prophecy that one great day would come good news to the poor and the oppressed? It's... Here, Jesus said, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. That's what Jesus said. And when he said that, Jesus crossed the line. The place went silent. What in the world did he mean by that? He's the one? Joseph's boy from down the way. He's the one prophesied by Isaiah, this is the day. Jesus is the anointed one who brings good news. Come on. And this great prophecy that we've been reading and memorizing since we were children is supposed to apply even to our enemies, people from Sidon or Syria or these Romans Looking over our shoulder now, the people became enraged at that moment and they decided that Jesus had to go. So the hometown congregation decided to skip coffee hour that day and they dragged Jesus out of the village to the top of the hill where the kids would often go to throw rocks down below And they decided what they would do is throw him from that cliff and be done with him altogether. Saying that things are now going to change is dangerous business. We remember Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. or his namesake, 
from generations prior. But for Jesus, this work of expanding the kingdom is only now beginning. So he calmly walked through what had become an angry mob. No longer a congregation from his hometown, but an angry mob. Luke tells us he walked through the midst of them and went on his way. And Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. And the truth that nearly gets him killed on this day in his own hometown will eventually have him nailed to a cross there outside of the holy city. Like it or not, the good news of the gospel does not belong only to those of us who have our favorite spot where we sit each time we gather for worship and have nostalgic memories of worship services gone by. It does not belong only to us or to those whom we might on some level deem worthy. God is and always has been in the business of proclaiming release to the captives and good news to the poor and the oppressed. And unless you happen to be among their ranks at the moment, then things are going to change. We are often seduced, coerced into believing that people get what they have coming in this world what they deserve. But if you have met your neighbor in need, if you have even worshipped with that neighbor, then you know this to be a lie. The painful truth is that we have a lot more in common with those people who felt like throwing Jesus from a cliff that day than we would like to admit to ourselves. But Jesus made clear that God's Care for the poor and the oppressed has always been, always from the outset, as much for the outsiders as it is for the insiders. And because of that, and only because of that truth, by the grace of God, this good news has reached us this very cold winter morning right now. This gospel of God's redemption has made its way across the ages and the distance to reach us so that you might know you too have been chosen. As I prepared for this message, I was reminded of a, of a, a film, essentially, that I had used in a, an adult discussion a while back. It's, uh, it, uh, it's a talk given by Rob Bell, who occasionally will do a kind of extended sermon, more or less, put it together in a very creative, compelling way and just tour the country uh, at various venues. Uh, uh, and uh, this is one of the earlier ones that he did uh, called The Gods Are Not Angry. And he, he begins with a kind of uh, discussion of the altar, the history of the altar. And in so doing, he's un wrapping the kind of history of worship. So in this little three-minute segment, which comes toward the end of his 90-minute presentation uh, about the history of the altar and worship, uh, he's speaking to these uh, issues we've, we've been discussing here and which I think arise out of Christ's uh, hometown proclamation uh, so many 
years ago. As he uses the word uh, ritual, uh, Rob Bell is really referring, uh, using that word interchangeably with the word worship. So let's just take a look at a few minutes of that, of that presentation. For first Christians, all that was left to do as you became aware and awakened to the reconciliation of all things that had happened at the culmination of the ages was all that was left to do was celebrate it, to trust it. Of course, you're going to live in a different way. Of course, you're going to reorder your life. Who wouldn't when they came to an awareness that peace has already been made at the culmination of the ages? If you're bargaining with God to do something, you're bargaining with the wrong kind of God. This, of course, raises the question, then what is the point of a ritual? I ran into somebody recently who apparently had missed church the previous Sunday. Mm, mm, mm. <laughs> Turn or burn, I say. Um, and what happened in the course of our progressively odd conversation was when this deep, serious blot on their soul emerged. They offered some sort of kind of awkward explanation about, no, you don't understand, I, I, um, so, so, this fell on my house and the cliff and the, you know, stop, too much information, don't need to know. Um, but they came into the presence of pastor man and all of a sudden had this tremendous need to explain why they had missed the church service. As if I have some sort of cosmic clipboard in my back pocket. And you will move from this column to this column later, and I can't speak for eternity, but it's not looking good. And uh, <laughs> later, as I, as I sorted through why the, why the encounter w w was so kind of... I had this like, wait, wait, wait. Why do you go to church? Essentially to, to, to get God off your back for another six days? So that some sort... So that some sort of deep-seated anxiety will go away for an, another seven days? Well, if that, do you go do this so that somebody somewhere will be pleased? Well, well that's, I mean, that's, that's, that's the same old primal gods and goddesses. What is the point of a ritual? Whether it's a you know, church service, whatever. What is the point of a ritual? The point of a ritual is to ground us, to open us up, to remind us, to tap us in to the peace that has already been made at the culmination of the ages through this Christ who offered himself. Any ritual, any religious gathering that merely piles on a whole new weight of what you aren't, what you haven't, what you aren't doing, what you're not good at, what, what, all the ways in which you fall short. Any gathering that simply piles on the same old guilt, anxiety, worry, and stress is not a Christian ritual. I don't care what language it uses to describe itself. The only proper Christ-centered ritual is one that reminds you, that refreshes you, that awakens you, that enlightens, that, that opens you up to the God who has made peace with all things in heaven and on earth through this Christ who offered himself.
Could not agree more. Pastor Natalia and I were joking the other day when I was reviewing this clip that uh, I wonder if anyone's told him that he's a Lutheran. Um, someone should let him know because that's uh, the theological heritage that we share, saved by grace through faith so that no one can boast. This is not your own doing, but the free gift of a gracious God. So we gather as Prince of Peace for our annual congregational meeting and we ask the questions, why are we? Uh, as a community of faith, what are we trying to do? Uh, what are we trying to be? Why do we exist? These are great questions. We can never stop asking them. And we're reminded today, both at the font and in front of the altar, that we are those who have been chosen, claimed, forgiven, even in spite of ourselves, so that we might then be sent. Uh, this community needs our community. This nation needs our message. This world needs this news. And we are bearers of good news. So are we gathered again this day and reminded that in Christ you are a beloved, chosen, forgiven child. This is the identity that you leave this place with. The message you bring is good news. Let's stand and sing about that together. Thank you.